0: Last week, I began a three-part teaching series on the workplace titled Undercover Boss. Today, I want to talk with you about resolving workplace conflict. Rub your hands together like this and say, we're going to get in it in a minute. All right. You know, the art of solving conflicts is very, very real. Conflict is unavoidable. Some people say, well, if I go home, there's no conflict what home are you living in? some say well if I go to school there'll never be a conflict what school do you go to? and some say well the church is a safe place from conflict what church do you go to? and the workplace conflict is inescapable so you must become skilled at managing and resolving conflict The challenge is most of us have never been trained to adequately resolve conflict. Jesus gives us a prism by which he looks at conflicts and how he resolves it. And I want us to follow suit in that regard. Workplace conflict is any disagreement that disrupts the workflow. Matthew chapter five, and verse nine. I'll also put it on the screen. That's where I want us to read from. Jesus is speaking, and he says, "Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God." He's saying this is one of his the famous statements. By the way, in this sermon that's referred to as a Sermon on the Mount. And there are nine beatitudes from verse 1 through verse 11. Each one speaks of a character requirement of people who are members of the family of God. Jesus is saying now, as we look in the middle of this sermon, he's saying, if you want to be called a child of God, not everyone is, and not everyone can be called that, But if you want to wear the moniker of children of God, you must be a peacemaker. So how do you resolve workplace conflicts? As a peacemaker, as an ambassador of the kingdom of God, as a representative of the kingdom, may I suggest, take the first step. Lay down your boxing gloves. Don't take the posture where most people do because there are three typical responses to conflict. Fight, flight, or freeze. You come at me, I come back at you. Fight. You come at me, I freeze because I don't like conflict. You come at me, I go on flight because... I don't know what to do with this conflict. You spoke harshly to me. Didn't like it. Jesus introduces a fourth response. Not the fight. Not the flight. Not freeze. But fix. In other words, resolve the conflict. Conflict can become a great asset to you. Conflict can help you in so many areas of your life. If you just stop running from it or feeding into it or dealing with ignoring it. You just got to stop. The manager of ABC company, she placed Freddie between Lois and Rita in terms of Freddie's cubicle. Because Lois and Rita, they just are at each other's throats. So disruptive, ongoing conflict. And when the manager did that, putting Freddie in the middle cubicle, It was so peaceful. Here's the problem. It didn't solve the underlying problems. Peacekeeping and peacemaking are entirely different things. Peacemaking occurs when you solve the dilemma, the underlying, the subterranean issues that's creating this ongoing conflict. And so Jesus is helping us understand that when you walk through life as a child of God, one of the indicators, if I'm walking in this company... I'm working for Prudential. I'm working for Mobile Oil. I'm working for Google. I'm working for Amazon. Wherever I'm working for, I'm working for the gas station down the street. I'm working at the hospital. Wherever I work, I'm working at the high school as a teacher. Wherever I work, one of the signs that I work there is that there's a trail of peacemaking activities that follow me. To understand what peacemaking is, I want to tell you what it's not. Peacemaking is not avoiding. Avoiding is when you say, I don't want to rock the boat. I grin and bear it. I sweep everything under the rug. Have you ever looked under some people's rugs? <laughs> I mean, there's so many people under that rug. You wonder why it's lumpy. There's so many, you know, so many circumstances under that rug. You know, Peacemaking is not appeasing. I always give in. They always get their way that's codependency you're running from conflict when you do that that's not peacemaking neither is peacemaking denying you falsely think it's okay it's normal you're always supposed to have ongoing conflicts I got 15 conflicts right now as I speak just take a ticket and line up like we're at the bakery that's not peacemaking peacemakers represent God at work in all aspects of your job, including how you deal with your co-workers. Peacemaking creates this relational and organizational justice that allows for emotional and personal well-being. That's what peacemaking does. But what I suggest is what Jesus said. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called children of God. So how do you then resolve conflicts at work? Take the first step. What do I mean by that? You initiate the conversation. You initiate the peacemaking dialogue. You go first. And some say, well, they're the ones that are wrong. You're the child of God, though. You're the peacemaker. You're the ambassador. As an ambassador, you don't... Represent yourself, you represent the kingdom that sent you. The nation that sent you. You were sent by God to that job, to that family, to that church, to that community. So, as a peacemaker, make peace. How do you do that? Take the first step. It requires a lot of humility. It requires a lot of submission to Christ. I know they messed over you ten times in one week. They don't deserve for you to come to them. But your goal is not how many unresolved conflicts you can have brewing at one time. The United Nations right now have troops in 14 different countries on four continents because of the wars that are going on right now as I speak. You don't want to mirror that so that means take the first step. When I was working as an environmental engineer before pastoring was ever in my sight, I was just 22 years old, my second engineering job. There must have been about 150, 200 engineers at this company. This is considered large in consulting engineering world. And there are five principles, the key, the big bosses. There was one of this big boss. His name is Frank. Still etched in my mind. Frank was really, really nasty. And Frank was really, really smart. That's a wicked combination. Because you can't outsmart him. He's smarter than you. He's smarter than me. Uh, and, And that particular week, it was a Tuesday. Frank, man, he just lit into me. And he was so nasty. You almost felt like somebody puked all over you. And I was 22, he was in his 40s, he's old enough to be my dad, has way more experience than me, way smarter than me. I've been at engineering like two minutes, he's been at it for like two decades. And so this guy, I mean, man, but it bothered me. And I saw him mess over a lot of people. And it was just like ongoing, like who will he mess over this week? And I did something that it took a lot of courage. I went to Frank's office that afternoon. I said, Frank, I'd like to have a word with you. Frank didn't even look up from his desk. He just kept looking down at all the engineering drawings. He didn't even look up. He just looked down. And he said, let's talk Thursday at 10 o'clock. And I said, OK. I figure this is how you roll in the office environment. Thursday at 10 o'clock, stomach is butterflies, I gotta talk to Frank now, I gotta tell Frank, I don't like the way you dealt with me, Frank. Knocked on his office door, like two minutes to 10. He said, come in, turned his chair around, sat down and chair. we looked at each other, eyeball to eyeball, he's very intimidating. And he said, you said you wanted to talk to me, what do you wanna tell me? I said, Frank, do you remember our conversation on Tuesday? He said, not really. I said, but in that conversation, the exchange wasn't the most pleasant for me. I felt as if I had no value and worth to you. I felt dishonored and disrespected and I didn't like the feeling. Then he paused. He said, David... You're right. Yeah, I'm sorry. And then he started to open up his heart to me. He said, "You know, one of the things I like about you." He said, "You're a Christian. I, I know I'm not, but I like your ethics. And you're the first guy who's ever approached me when I said something that was smart or nasty towards him. So I, I really respect you." And I walked out of that office like I was six foot four. And the interesting thing was that all these other men, some older than Frank, some younger than Frank, certainly older than me, they had never approached him. How many unresolved conflicts do you have right now going on in your life? At home? At the workplace? in the church, at school. Might I suggest to you to be a peacemaker take the first step. Let's get back to the question. How do you resolve conflicts in the workplace? Admit wrongdoing. No one is perfect. No one is faultless. No one gets everything 100% right in any relationship. Not even you. As nice as you are, as sanctified as you are, as holy as you are, you're next, up there next to the Apostle Paul. You're right there next to Mary. In fact, your name is Mary. You're named after But you still don't get everything right. Neither do I. Jesus tells us in Luke 6 verse 41, Why do you notice the little piece of dust in your friend's eye, but you don't notice the big piece of wood in your own eye? How can you say to your friend, Friend, let me take that little piece of dust out of your eye, when you cannot see that big piece of wood in your own eye. You hypocrite. First, take the wood out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly to take the dust out of your friend's eye. Now, this is Jesus teaching. So in other words then, if you remember now what our goal is, our goal is to resolve the conflict in the workplace. Principle still applies for home. Same principle. You admit wrongdoing. You said I did nothing wrong. I was perfect. My tone, my body language, my facial expressions, my gestures, my everything. I was right. Even the right colors I had on. The probability of you being 100% right in every relational interchange... It's impossible. Even if you were ninety-nine point nine 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 percent right, I must say, as the mathematician Galileo, you are still 0.01% wrong. So what do you do then if you've realized you're 0.01% wrong? It's like you trying to look at your friend that has this little incy piece of dust particle in the eye. Get closer. Do you see it? No, I don't see it. Come on, real close. That little dust. That little dust. And you have that big 2 by 4 in your eye that you got from Home Depot. <laughs> You're walking around with this big piece of lumber sticking out your eye, but then you have the audacity... To say, that little splinter in your eye, it bugs me. Jesus says, you hypocrite. So what Jesus is aiming at is this, to solve conflicts. It's very tough, very difficult. Proverbs speaks to that by saying, making up with a friend you have offended is harder than breaking through a city wall. I can take my shoulder, Solomon says, and run right through a city wall and break it. That six-foot-thick wall, concrete, I can break it easier than I can reconcile with a friend. It's tough. So since it's so tough to work through reconciliation and resolution of conflict, follow this prescription. Take the first step. Admit... Wrongdoing. Do you know what that person's going to do when you go to them and say, When I spoke to you real harshly last week, I was wrong. I was disrespectful towards you. Forgive me. When their floor, when their mouth comes from off the floor, when you say that, they're so shocked they're going to see something at work in you that they don't see at work in the, any of their other coworkers. When you approach them and you say, I was being totally pushy with you last week. And after rehearsing my mind, our exchange, I realized I was wrong. I was being totally selfish. I am sorry. It's amazing when you do that. And so I want you to recognize that. I remember many years ago we had this 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 staff person who was over a certain area of ministry and he was always throwing his the workers that worked in his department, throwing them under the bus. He never admitted wrongdoing. He could never say, I'm sorry. And I remember sitting down with him because we have some 60 employees. So, you know, I'm the CEO for this small corporation or mid sized corporation. So I, I deal with workplace dynamics. And you may say, well, church workplace, you don't have any problems. You ever read Jesus's? resume and the profile and some of the co-workers he dealt with he had to deal with James and John in fact they had a nickname sons of thunder these guys always want to kill someone always want to have a beat down always want to cut someone's head off and Jesus had those kinds of co-workers you know what else he had he had Judas a thief and he's carrying the money bag so Judas I don't know he's from the hood where I don't know (laughs) then you had Thomas they call him Doubting Thomas. No backbone whatsoever. Skeptical of everything. These were Jesus' co-workers. Peter, roughhouse, always talking smack. So don't tell me that hey, the church is a sanctified place. Everybody's just eating just angel food cake. Oh, no. <laughs> Wrong place. So I'm sitting this guy down. I'm saying, look, I'm going to try to help get into his head. So I had a piece of paper all written down. I had a line in the middle of it, two columns. Column A, the stuff that you do really, really well. Column B, room for growth. And after I went through all these things, I mean, it's like patting him on his back, giving him a fist bump, high-five, man, you're gifted, you get, man, you. And I got to column B. Column B, same p- number of points. I didn't have like two over in column A and 2,000 in column B. No, I had a balance. I had five in column A, five in column B because it would be wrong to, you know, to stack the deck. And so I'm dealing with five areas of growth and development. And one of the things I said, look, why? You're obfuscating. I put in a $10 word. You're obfuscating the truth. You bury it. You hide it. You find ways to camouflage it. And you're doing that because you have a trouble admitting wrongdoing. When you do that, you push people away. And you never could build a good team because you never own any problems. Several meetings around that topic could never get it. There was a trail of unresolved conflicts everywhere you went. Just, just what? unresolved conflicts, dead body there, dead body there, dead body there, but it was never his fault, they died on the job, <laughs> never, I mean it's, so I had to then give him his marching orders and release, free up his future, if you're going to learn to resolve conflicts, you gotta admit wrongdoing, Because there are dangers associated with unresolved conflicts. And the danger is that it raises the legitimate question of whether or not you're really an ambassador of the kingdom of God. But more specifically, it hinders collaboration. Conflicts erode away openness, which is the soil of creativity. No one's going to be collaborative with you when you always... Keep unresolved conflicts unresolved. The danger is that it limits cohesiveness. Teams need glue to hold them together. Unresolved conflicts cause the glue, the strength, to weaken. Unresolved conflicts block prayers. You may say, block prayers? Oh, yes. First Peter 3 verse 7 says, Husbands, In the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner or more delicate partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life. What's the the impact? So that nothing will hinder your prayers. Now I know a lot of ladies are high-fiving each other saying, see what happens? God's on the side of women. You did not read the Bible properly. It's men and women. And it's not just within the relationship of marriage. It's every relationship, workplace. You keep messing over people, gods. People are God's highest order of creativity. Regardless if they're serving Jesus or not. People are God's magnum opus. His prized possession. And when you mess over them, as nasty and as irreligious and as atheistic and as cynical and as jaded or as mixed up in all kinds of things, there's sexual orientation, and or even there, they may be all staunchy and may have a different worldview than you. Whatever the difference is, when you mess over them, God says, Don't pray to me because I don't want to hear from you until you resolve the conflict. Unresolved conflict grants Satan access. That's what Ephesians 4 verse 26 and 27 says, that when you don't, it says don't let the sun go down on your wrath and don't give Satan a hole, a foothold is the scripture. In the Greek it says toehole. that little toe that you have. Or if you say, well, my little toe is really big. Okay, the big toe that you have. <laughs> Satan says, when you have unresolved conflicts in your life, you're giving me access into your life, your work life too. See, unresolved conflicts, they reduce effectiveness. Great place to pull out your camera phone and take a shot. Because when you're at work, when you see that unresolved conflict, you say, okay, well, these are five things that's going on. When I don't resolve this thing, I better resolve it. So I want you to have this etched in your mind. And if it's not in your mind, it's on your phone. So we're asking this question again. And we're going to keep it up for another moment, the slide. We're asking this question again. How do you resolve conflict in the workplace? Take the first step. Admit wrongdoing. And listen carefully. So now you're sitting down with the person. You you took the first step. You set up that meeting. I had to set up with Frank. And there have been lots of Franks since then. And some had to set up with me because I was Frank. (laughs) For them. So... You set that first meeting. Take the first step. You admit wrongdoing and you listen carefully. See, if the conflict is to be resolved, you got to listen to what the other person has to say. Proverbs 18, verse 13 says, Listen before you answer. If you don't, you're being stupid and insulting. Could you imagine? God saying... That I'm stupid. I don't like that. And then he says, before I even get you know the, the punch <laughs> from God, you're being stupid. And the one, two, he gives me another one and insulting. Oh man, oh man. And how can I avoid being stupid and insulting? God says, listen before you answer. Some people struggle with that. You're talking over the person, you want to get your point out. You gotta say it. I remember I was counseling this couple, and you know, in, in relationships, you'll find that there are oftentimes two kinds of people in a in a relationship. They get married. One is the turtle, and one is the skunk. The turtle avoids conflict. The skunk stinks up the place during conflict. And turtles are always attracted to skunks. And skunks are always attracted to t- turtles. I don't understand why, but it happens. And so the idea is to grow so you don't become like a turtle. You, you come out of your shell and you grow so you don't become like a skunk. and You don't stink up the place. Everybody knows you're mad. Even the dog knows you're mad. The dog is sitting in the corner like that. You say, why did that dog eat? Because he's scared. I mean, the dog knows. And so the intent is that, listen. What are you listening for? Listen for Pain and listen for their perspective and i remember sitting down with this couple and you know the wife would just overtalk the husband in this instance sometimes the husband overtalks the wife and sometimes they overtalk one another because one's more articulate one's more suave one's more smooth one has a greater command of the language and so when they speak they sound like shakespeare all this clarity and finesse and they know how to really just be so descriptive when you, I mean, you're taking notes when, you're, when they're arguing because the, the guy is very you know, descriptive. Just write down that using all kinds of fancy words and just write it down. Because you can't even argue because he was just so mesmerized by his wit and charm. This wife, she just overrode the husband. And what happens when you override your spouse or your colleague and they shut down, it works into bitterness And they suppress that. Even if they're not articulate, they have something to say. And you're not hearing them. And even if they can't articulate their feelings properly, you're not feeling their pain. And it distances you from them and shuts them down emotionally. Such was the case in this relationship. The wife was very articulate, sharp. And she was just sharp. And I said, you need to give your husband a chance to speak. And the moment he said a word. Boom, she just jumped right in. She started to correct how he's saying it. So I said, time out. On my desk was an hourglass. It was just about this size. And it was like a two-minute span of time when the sand, when you turn the hourglass up and the sand's on the top, it, for it to drain out, it took about two minutes. I knew that. So I came and I put it right there in the middle of the, the conference table where we're sitting. A couple sitting across from me. I'm sitting here. I said, I want to introduce a new tool in your marriage, in your communication. From now on, over the next week, before you see me again, never speak to each other without this hourglass. Because this thing was, their marriage was really, really toxic. And I said, okay, let me give you an example. I'm going to turn the hourglass up. Sir. Let's call his name John. John, you may speak now. When the sand runs out, you stop. Susan will speak. When I turned it up and that sand was going, Susan was like muzzled. She didn't know what to do. Man, you've tied my tongue. The sand ran out. (laughs) It was now Susan's turn. Man, it was like a volcano. And then when the sand ended, you tied my tongue again. I mean, it was just, it was just, it was, she couldn't function. But oh, when that man saw that hourglass, it was like someone let him out of prison. <laughs> I'm free, I'm free, at least for two minutes. <laughs> but the reason why you listen carefully is to listen for their pain. Listen for their perspective. Your coworker was offended by you or offended you and it was tied to perspective. And many times we're not listening carefully because we're so selfish. James was a very practical apostle. He says this in James 4 verse 1. Do you know where fights and arguments come from? they come from the selfish desires that war within you. So James is saying the only reason why you argue and the only reason why you're always fighting with people at work, at home, at church, on the freeway is that you're selfish. This car wants to move over and you don't, you can't. <laughs> you're selfishness. And selfishness is when you're preoccupied with your goals. Your plans, your ideas, your desires. In those early days when I used to be involved in marriage counseling, I don't do that now. We have counselors on staff, and the other pastors do that. But in those days, I remember there are two words I would tell couples that would help them big time when you see selfishness at work. You may write these words down Grow up! Stop acting like a baby! So you thought it was going to be some heavy... That's the Greek <laughs> for don't be selfish. <laughs> so Because mature people are peacemakers. Mature people despise unresolved conflicts because they know how damaging it is, personally and professionally. Mature people like win-win outcomes. They get no glory out of... They go to the workplace conflict that's unresolved and now they say my goal here is to win and for you to lose. My goal is to set you straight and for you to listen. You'll never resolve things that way with that perspective. And you say, well, if I can't resolve, I'll leave. I'll go somewhere else. Well, let me throw out some stats. 85% of employees deal with conflict on some level according to a study done by CCP Incorporated, the company behind the Myers-Briggs assessment. 29% 29% of employees deal with conflict almost constantly. 9% of employees have seen workplace conflict cause a project to fail. 25% of employees have seen conflict result in sickness and absence of their coworkers. So if you say, well, I'm going to just leave this job and go to that job, guess what? You'll find conflict over there. And it may be worse and you want to run back. And so I'm saying you can't escape. And in relationships, relationship, same thing. You want to find a conflict-free husband. A conflict-free wife. A conflict-free girlfriend. A conflict-free boyfriend. A conflict-free kid. And the kid says, I want to find a conflict-free parent. You can't find that person. So you might as well learn how to resolve conflicts. Take the first step. Admit wrongdoing. Listen carefully, and finally, establish clear expectations. What do you want as the outcome of this dialogue? Paul sets it straight for us in terms of the expectations that we should set before any tense dialogue. Romans 14:19 says, So then, we must always aim at those things that bring peace. And that help strengthen one another. Paul says the target in your conversation before you step in that room. Before you meet with Frank at 10 a.m. on Thursday. Set as your goal. Outcome, peace in our relationship. Outcome, our mutual strengthening in our relationship. So peace... It consists of resolution to the conflict that will result in either repair of the relationship, peace, or even the removal of the relationship from your life, peace. Now, if you're going to remove a relationship from your life because of this level of toxicity do it in a Christ honoring way do it in a professional way don't just be like the guy who was working as a flight attendant several years ago and then he was so messed up and angry with the customers and clients and the rest of his flight attendant crew that when the plane landed and he was right there you know right in the, the in the gate he just pulled the emergency cord and opened the door and the chute came out and he grabbed, before he slid down the chute, he grabbed two, two, you know, two Michelobes and slid right down. And that's how he quit. <laughs> Don't do that. It won't look good on your resume. <laughs> Especially in our age of social media. Somebody just pull, pull it i and show you how you quit. So you resolve it by repairing it or by removing it because it's cancerous. And you can also resolve it by bringing about reconciliation. The relationship has been repaired to such a level that it's stronger than it before it was, before the offense. You may say, well, how do you do that? You have as your aim peace, and you have as your aim mutual strengthening. So in the conversation you say something like this, that I know that we need to talk and this conversation may get a little bit sensitive and tender, but I want you to know that I'm approaching it with this end goal. I hope that when we walk out of this room together, we have peace. And I hope when we walk out of this room together, we're strengthened both personally and professionally through this conflict. I don't know anybody except crazy people that don't want to grow personally and professionally and conflict has a great opportunity to do just that for you. So I want to encourage you today when you go back to work tomorrow or some of you, you may need this thing before you even hit the lobby (laughs) before you hit the lobby today I want you to be equipped to understand take the first step admit wrongdoing listen carefully and establish clear expectations. And when you do that. You're on your way to experiencing what Jesus said. In the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the peacemakers. For they shall be called children of God. Blessed means. That you're so favored of God. It makes you happy. Happy are the peacemakers. For they shall be called children of God. You are an awesome peacemaker. Go and make peace. I want you to stand with me for a moment.